Welcome back to Recorded Conversations, the podcast that's dedicated to compassionately considering all perspectives while engaging in authentic, connected dialogue. I'm Danielle Kingstrom. Today, my husband, Corey Kingstrom, joins the episode, and we discuss a polyamorous heaven. Enjoy the episode. In Matthew 22, there's a verse that I think has always stuck out to me, but I never really understood how to articulate what I understood about what Jesus was saying. So for clarification, I'm first going to read the verse, and then I want to talk about it, because something just kind of popped into my mind as I was consulting a client, and I just really wanted to share this. So it's a discussion on marriage at the resurrection, and I'm going to start with verse 23 of Matthew 22. That same day, the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses told us that if a man dies without having children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for him. Now there were seven brothers among us. The first one married and died, and since he had no children, he left his wife to his brother. The same thing happened to the second and third brother, right on down to the seventh. Finally, the woman died. Now then, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be of the seven, since all of them were married to her? Jesus replied, You are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like angels in heaven. But about the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what God said to you? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. When the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. When we think about, I want to zoom in here on one particular verse, and that's verse 30. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like angels in heaven. A lot of other persuasive thoughts suggest that angels like are anatomically inept. They don't have sexual organs and they don't reproduce and they're not sexually inclined and they have no sexual nature. And while we don't have proof of that, it's very good theory. But I am of the persuasion that believes in a heaven where sex exists, where who I am and what pleasures me and what I delight in and what I receive joy from will also be duplicated in the afterlife. And if I'm being honest, I'm hoping it will be astronomically duplicated. I hope the pleasure is tenfold more than I could ever imagine to experience, but at least a rendition of that one particular moment when I reach the height of climax during sex where everything and nothing exists at the same time. And it's the most compelling and cosmic force of pleasure and surrender at the same time. If I don't have that in the afterlife, I don't really want to die. I'm not looking forward to a heaven. Okay, so back to the marriage thing. The reason it came up was because I was speaking to a man. Now he's Arabic and he is Muslim. 
and I've been advising him for a little over a week now. And from my perspective, he's trying to understand the distinction and the very crazy, weird patterns of American culture. And more specifically, trying to understand why we are so non-serious about marriage and relationship and why we are not so private about sexual matters. And upon some of his curiosity, he asked me what I thought the difference was between a married couple and a non-married couple. And if I thought there was one, the status and the label of spouse or boyfriend and girlfriend. And now most of me wants to say, I don't think there is a difference. I don't think a piece of paper means anything. However, those are my feelings. Those aren't the facts. And facts stipulate, especially in the psychology field, that people who are married and have that piece of paper do take their relationships more seriously versus those who are not married do not. Now, when it comes to domestic abuse, you have a greater chance of being abused outside of that scope of marriage. Husbands and wives tend to not beat each other up because they're legally bound to one another and could suffer so many legal consequences thereafter. Whereas when you are not committed by that legal binding piece of paper, you can do whatever the fuck you want and just get up and leave and you don't owe anybody anything. Or at least that's what the messaging is of society. So there is that to consider. And I don't know, there is a significant feeling of change when you go from just boyfriend, girlfriend to husband, wife, or husband, husband, wife, wife, or however you are oriented and whomever you partner up with. For me, it felt like it was a real commitment. It felt like I had grown up. It felt like I was finally an adult. I remember my grandmother even telling me a week before I got married, I'm so proud of you, kiddo. You finally are growing up. And I thought, really? Marriage? Marriage is the demonstration of adulthood and, and growing up. I, It was actually a repulsing idea, and it was very insulting. But sometimes our grandparents say really stupid shit, and they don't think about how it impacts us. So that doesn't matter. However, that is the view, isn't it? We graduate high school, we go off to college, some of us, um, and then we're supposed to meet that one and settle down and create a family. That's the program. That's the Christian program for certain. And I don't like doing what's expected of me. Maybe that's why I waited so long to get married. Maybe that's why I had kids before I got married to show people, ha, ha, ha. You don't have to get married first to have kids. Look, I had two before I got married. It does force us. It compels us to get our shit together, right? When we sign a legal document binding ourselves to another person for better, for worse, till death do us part. Given that 52% of marriages end in divorce, I know we don't really believe that. But for a significant amount of the population, that marriage license does mean something. It means something a little bit more. It means that we do have to act a little bit more grown up. It means that we can't just cut ties and run. It means that we have to work things out. So I see the difference. Now going back to this verse and what Jesus says, 
that at the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. It kind of resounds some of the conversations I've had with my husband. And I'm going to have him pop in in a little bit and join this discussion when he's finished with his farming venture. But for now, I just want to say that some of the things that we have discussed when we talk about afterlife and what heaven will be like in a very simplistic reduction in summary of what my husband has said, and this might be a little crass as well, but I'm just going to give it to you straight, is basically it'll be like a fucking orgy in heaven. And I've heard that before. I remember growing up, my mom got into Sylvia Brown, and she's like a psychic and a prophetess, and she's written some really incredible books, and I've read a lot of her books, and a lot of it has significantly changed the way that I see the world. But there was that one component that she had shared that heaven would be similar like that, that we we would be sexual creatures that explore pleasure and delight uh, without limits, without boundaries, without lines, without divisions. And if we consider what Jesus said, that we will neither marry nor be given in marriage, But we will be a community, but we will commune with one another, but we will experience a great oneness. What would that look like? Does that mean that in whatever essence form that we take on in the afterlife, that that's just the way it is? We get down with everybody. We love everybody so deeply and so freely in that regard that that's what it ends up looking like when we think about it. Now, Don't get me wrong. I have no idea what heaven's going to be like, right? None of us do. We've never been there. So it's fun for us to, you know, kind of fantasize what the afterlife will be like. But none of us really know. And so speculation is all we have. But what if the speculation that we hold for the afterlife is something that we can put into practice now? And what would that look like? Well, if I really thought about it, it would look like a polyamorous relationship. And I know I've talked about it here and there, and I've shared with you my experiences on Tinder, and I've told you that my husband and I are opening our minds and being more curious to what our our mind, body, and spirit can discover in otherness and love and connection and intimacy. And the more I even try and hold myself back from agreeing with such a speculation, it's hard to. It's hard to not see that a polyamorous relationship might be the potential representation of what relationship is like in the afterlife. And I've said it before, I've written about it before, but I really think um, the polyamorous community is onto something. I really think they get it. Uh, it doesn't mean that there isn't jealousy. It doesn't mean that there isn't insecurity. It doesn't mean there isn't worry and fear. We're not perfect. But it does mean that they're willing to take that risk and surrender to the possibility of loving so much more than the restrictions we place around ourselves. Why do we do that to ourselves? We do restrict ourselves. We say we can only marry one person. And Jesus is like, (laughs) that's trivial stuff, guys. We don't even... I don't even fuck with that shit, okay? Like, it's not important. It's irrelevant. Because those are distinctions of the world that keep us separate, right? And what is sin? 
believing the lie of separateness, separate from God and separate from the universe. Well, in a polyamorous relationship, loving another person doesn't mean you're loving the other person any less. It actually means that you have the capacity to love more than one person. And why don't we sit in awe of that? Why don't we strive to do that? And not even on a sexual level, although I have a feeling that would be pleasurable and delightful, but more so, and this is where the beauty of the energy of Eros comes into play. If you're willing to risk and surrender to that kind of love, immeasurable love, unlimited love, loving more than one, what can that do for every relationship in your life? What can that do to your lens? It can make you see people in a whole new light. And the way that you will see them is in this brilliant, bright light of knowing they too are worthy of the same love that you desire. And when I think about God and the desire God had to share all of the enormity of the love that is God, and in that desire, creating humanity, creating the universe, that tells me that that's what love is supposed to be like. An explosion and a pouring out to everybody and everything that our essence touches. And that is the quicksilver of Eros. That is what it does. It challenges us in a way to go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Initially, you have these surface judgments, concerns, and fears. But what if we just let that love pour out? What if we didn't restrict and restrain and contain and control our love? What if we just let it pour out to everybody in whatever way it manifested into? What if we let it organically grow into the potential that it could be? What would that look like? That would look like understanding why a person harms another person because hurt people hurt people and when we understand that a person is hurt how can we not relate to that and how can we not want to do something to change that that's what eros does it's that empathetic love it's that self-emptying love it's that let me get rid of my ego my issue and all of my perceived problems and let me clear out all of the space that is me so that all of you can penetrate me my being so that i can know you and understand you so that i can see you through me i believe that is what the afterlife is like I think that's what Jesus was leading up to. But how do you say that during a time period when we had all of these prohibitions and prescriptions and patriarchal, puritanical fucking demands? How do you push back against that without immediately being crucified and then effectively ending your whole mission, right? So Jesus had to be careful. He had to say things in a certain way that... People would understand if they were willing to think about it, right? This is a philosophical presentation, if you will. This is where Jesus was like, I'm going to say something here and I want you all to think about it. My point is that Jesus couldn't just come out and say like, guys, don't mess with marriage because that would have been too much for people to take. And I mean, even today, when we say things like don't take the wedding too seriously or don't take marriage all that seriously, 
I mean, we can't, right? Everybody puts so much meaning behind marriage, right? And more so today. I mean, look at the amount of money that is spent on the average wedding. You know, do you know what? My wedding, my wedding costs 70, $60 for the license, $50 to the judge for an after hours ceremony, $42 for my wedding dress, $30 for my shoes. I think I bought some barrettes for like $10. Yep. And that's about all I spent on my wedding. My husband, he wore his military dress uniform. I had my parents present, his dad and stepmom present, his youngest brother, my youngest sister, and my two children at the time. That was it. Afterwards, we went to the damn Chinese restaurant in town and my father-in-law paid for the whole meal. So that's how how valuable I thought a wedding was. But other people, I, I have friends. I have one friend from high school. She had two weddings. She had two weddings over six months. One was a location wedding. I want to say Jamaica or the Bahamas or something. Nope, she had three. One was up north for the spouse's family. And then one was local for her family. They were married three years. Hmm, a wedding for every year they were married. Thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. And then it ended. And now she's single and probably living her best life. And that's fine. But the amount of money that we dump into marriage is ridiculous when we consider 52% of all marriages end in divorce. That's a lot of money down the drain. And so what happens is we put more focus on the status of marriage. We put more investment of energy into the planning and the production and the performance of the wedding. But then we don't want to give that kind of energy towards the actual relationship. I'm not judging people that spend lots of money on their wedding. If that's what you want to do, you make your day as beautiful as you want. Make sure you put that same energy, if not more, into the actual relationship and not into one day. One thing that I read that I thought was really interesting, this is just an aside, is that couples can get a really good gauge of what their relationship will be like if they pay attention to how they interact and cooperate together during the planning stages of the wedding, for those of you who plan weddings. Now, there's a lot of people that do what I did. I'm going to go down to the damn courthouse. I'm going to fill out the legal paperwork that the federal government and the state government requires of me to keep tabs on who I declare that I love and want to spend my time with. You know, never mind that invasion overall. But that's all it was to me because it wasn't about that one day. It wasn't about a wedding. It was about the rest of my life. And also my husband was leaving for Iraq. It was kind of on short notice. We never really cared whether or not we were married because we had already committed to one another. But again, that piece of paper can signal a lot of growth. And sometimes we need a little push to grow the fuck up, right? And uh, now we'll jump into my conversation with my husband, Corey Kingstrom. Okay, let's go ahead and do tests. Talk. Hi, how are you tonight? I'm fine. Fucking fantastic. It is. A little bit louder, I think. Okay, I will or try maybe, to... maybe... Yep, if you can, like, just lean in, but don't tap the table. Okay. Okay, I'll try not to squeak my chair either. Good. We'll do that later. We're going to squeak some chairs? Yes, we will squeak some chairs. Maybe. I was into a movie... 
I might watch that instead. <laughs> Fine. Just saying. It's an option. Okay. So, welcome back to the show, Corey. Hi. <laughs> Thanks for saying that as I was taking a drink of coffee. <laughs> You're welcome. So, today I wanted to talk to you about polyamory. Imagine that. Imagine that. You seem to be the local resident expert on that. Yeah, sometimes I am too. But today we're, we're not experts. We're just talking about this. So the reason I want to talk about this is because a verse came to mind today when I was talking to someone about a question he had asked about the distinction between boyfriend, girlfriend, and husband and wife. And basically asking if I thought there was maybe a greater hierarchy or superiority to one of the types of relationships or the labels of the relationship. And so anyway, it made me think of Matthew twenty-two thirty. And so I'm just going to read that real quick. Jesus replied, you are in error because you do not know the scripture or the power of God. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. And that, along with... I don't remember where it is, but the Apostle Paul says it. The idea that there is no female, there's neither male or female. So you put those two components together. And as I've said in the past, and I've written about in the past, it makes me think that polyamorous might be onto something. When I look at those two verses with my own lens and my understanding of what polyamory is, in relation to Christianity, theology, God. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. So what are your first initial thoughts there? Well, I think we first need to talk about what marriage is. And I don't know if you've done this already, but I think I think marriage is a social construct. Yeah. That can date back to the Bible. Yeah. Um, Before the Bible, even. Yeah. It was a way of, uh, it was done for property rights. Mm -hmm. it, it was never about love initially, especially in the Bible. Mm -hmm. I mean, most of those couples never even met prior to their quote unquote marriage. Right. Um, so what is the difference between marriage and boyfriend, girlfriend? I, I really don't think there is a difference. I look back at our own marriage. What changed when we got married? Well, I mean, some insurance benefits. Yeah, we, we basically got married for a financial benefit. Yep. Um, from a relationship standpoint, I don't think anything changed. Mm -mm. We still loved one another. We still uh, problem solved. Yeah, you know, we still had problems. <laughs> a lot. I mean, a we lot still do. Still do have problems. Well, not at this very moment. At this very moment, we have absolutely exactly. no problem whatsoever. Thanks, Jamal. Thanks, Jamal. But, uh, I mean, nothing really changed. Marriage, from a societal standpoint, is just the government essentially giving you a piece of paper mm -hmm. and, in turn, grants you certain rights as far as Taxes, health care, yeah, visitation of hospice or hospital care, stuff like that. Uh, custody. Parentage, custody. Parent, you know, yeah. things like that. Um, you look at, uh, if you have a child out of wedlock, the, the father virtually has no rights whatsoever. Yeah. Whereas it, through divorce, 
the father does have some rights. Mm -hmm. Granted, the video you shared a couple weeks ago, they still don't have a lot of rights. No. So I think marriage is really not part of the relationships. It's it's just a, a contract for financial and legal benefit. So... Let's let's take marriage out of the equation. Let's just look at the relationship itself. And the question is, is why are you in that relationship? Right. And you need to ask yourself that pretty much every day. Yeah. And I choose you every single day. Mm-hmm. And that's just the way it is. So connecting that to polyamory, how do we reconcile marriage with polyamory if we look at it just from a relationship perspective can you have a relationship with someone other than your spouse which we have now determined is essentially irrelevant it's just a relationship that you and i have Mm -hmm. that we choose one another every day can you have a similar not i don't want to say similar can you have a different relationship with someone else that includes intimacy and i think to a certain extent those those people do have that figured out yeah and so a couple of weeks ago i heard a podcast um what was it it was called the pastor with with no answers and what's his name joey joey joe pastor joey yes yeah and he used to be on bad christian yeah the bad christian podcast so he presents this question That goes something like this, like, are we sexual beings in heaven? Do we have sex in heaven? And he presented the question and offered up for discussion from previous guests. They call in, record their responses. And a lot of people overwhelmingly were like, absolutely not. Sexuality is irrelevant in heaven. And I heard all of these discussions and I heard their views and I pondered them. But I thought, okay, but for me... What I don't want to go to a heaven like that. I really don't. I really like sex. Sex is amazing. And it is so pleasurable. And so are you telling me there's no pleasure in the afterlife? And so anyway, so that really made me start thinking a lot about, you know, and I was introduced to an idea like this through Sylvia Brown many, many years ago, too, and that her understanding of what the afterlife as she presented, was basically a big orgy, right? And in a really, really crass sense, that's kind of what you think too. Yes. Like, we just all be fucking, doing whatever, like entangling our essences with one another. Okay, but the following verses after what Jesus says is that at the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like angels in heaven. Okay, so what is the... What is the premise of an angel that we know of that some people believe that they're not sexual at all? They're asexual and that maybe even in some depictions throughout the ages, they don't even have sexual organs to speak of. And so I can understand why someone would read that whole verse in entirety and see that. But maybe we're wrong about angels. Maybe the difference between angels and humans is that they're cool with all fucking each other. (laughs) Maybe. So I just want to throw that out there for consideration. But winding that back, 
There are other verses within the Bible that give way to an understanding that in the afterlife or at the resurrection or when all are reconciled or what have you, that all divisions will be gone. Mm -hmm. All the lines that separate us and that keep us, even in little tribes, removed from each other will be gone. We will all be connected. There will be this oneness. And I can't help but think that that's what we're supposed to be trying to imitate in the here and now. If that's the case, if that's what I believe about the afterlife, and I'm pretty sure that's what I believe right now, like, it makes sense. Like, and I've spent a lot of time trying to reject this idea. You know that. This has been so tumultuous. Did you want to speak on that real quick? No, go ahead. Um, really? (laughs) (laughs) Your smirk says otherwise. It's It's fine. Okay. And so if we're supposed to bring heaven to earth, that's what I would perceive as me needing to participate in. So the the only other thing I will mention, I'm going to go back to marriage. I'm going to take a shot. Okay, you do that. Since we're getting deep. So the only thing, the thing I will mention about marriage is, historically speaking, if you follow the Christianity theology, you're supposed to save yourself for marriage. So the idea behind that is that sex would be the difference between boyfriend and girlfriend Mm. and marriage. Yeah. So even Christianity understands the importance of sex. Yeah. And so, I mean, I think sex is the great, I mean, our relationship started out very sexual Mm -hmm. and we built a connection from that. Yeah. Sometimes people build connections and then it goes to sex. I think no matter how you do it, if you ever want to reach the next level of a relationship, sex isn't somewhere there. Right. It's going to be there. So, I mean, if you have, I I understand the polyamory aspect. You know, you have a great friendship with someone. And you want it to be more. And you want it to be more. That doesn't mean that's what it's, the only thing it's about. It's just that that's an option. Right. So. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, okay. And so where do I want to pivot back to? The problem not the problem, the struggle, the challenge with polyamory is that it pokes at a lot of scabs and it kind of forces you to confront all of your insecurities and fears. And monogamy offers us the protection of not having to fully dig in deep and heal everything. But at the same... In that regard, but... Some would say, well, that's not fair. Are you suggesting that you can't fully actualize? I mean, because that's where it would lead to. Are you suggesting you can't be this fully integrated person unless you do this? Which is not what I'm saying. I would suggest that. I'm not fully convinced of that, but I would suggest that. And I can make that case. It's possible. Everybody on here, all your followers and listeners know that you cheated on me, you whatever you're Yeah. Doing. 
And so let me just tell some personal information leading up to that. Prior to that happening, I did not trust you. Yeah. At all. And I was always thinking that you were cheating on me. Mm-hmm. And maybe I manifested something. Maybe you were, I accused you so many times that you, you, you just finally got to the point, well, I'm already guilty. May as well go do it. Whatever the case is. Mm-hmm. But the interesting thing about it, it was after that, I I trust you. How does that even work? I I don't understand it, but that's the case. How many times have I accused you of cheating on me since you told me you cheated on me? Um, never. How weird is that? Yeah, very weird. Because that was your biggest fear between us. And then you literally had no choice but to confront that fear. And it became a reality. And you were like, well, how do I go about this? And it's like you didn't want it to be a fear anymore. You're like, okay, well, that happened, and I didn't die. Well, not just that, but that happened, and you still chose me every day. Yeah. It it was the fear of you someday not choosing me. So, and I've mentioned this to you before as well, part of how I come to terms with this is I love you so much that if one day you decide not to choose me, that's okay. I just want you to be happy. And I'm okay with that. And that's like Jesus. I just wanted to throw that in there. <laughs> but it, I feel like that's what God's message is to us every day. That's the thing we don't get. We've created these constructs that we used to shame ourselves and judge ourselves and condemn ourselves to to places of eternal hell and torment because we don't really believe that God chooses to love us that freely every day. That if we don't choose God, God's like, I still love you. I got you. I just want you happy. And, and I'm not going to force you, though. And so in some of these revelations, I've just recently, like within the last year or two, have acknowledged. I mean, I knew something had changed, but I'm, I'm actually defining it now. Prior to me knowing that you had cheated on me, how often would we fight about that? Oh, God, all the time. My fear was, like, yeah, overwhelming. Obsessive. And, 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 and since then, I have realized that you choose me, and I'm just going to enjoy this moment, mm-hmm. this day. And if tomorrow you don't choose me, well, I still had today. And I don't have to live in that fear. Will I be sad if you don't someday don't choose me? Of course I will. But I'll still live. I can't see not choosing you ever. And the same goes for you. I, I can't see not choosing I you. know, despite all the curveballs that I throw at your face. Mm-hmm. But I still choose you. You do. No, I can't. I'm not a prophet, so I can't say the day might not come where I but don't. But he does like to pretend to be. Shut up. I'm just saying the day might come. The day might come where I don't choose you, even though I don't foresee it. And I would hope that we can still have a relationship beyond that. I would hope that we have a strong enough relationship that we can overcome that. Have you seen the story of The Rock? Like the wrestler, Dwayne The Rock Johnson? No. I don't even want to talk about him right now. He just fucking endorsed Biden. Like, yeah, whatever. But okay, so whatever. But he like he got married to this woman at at a young age or whatever, and over time they were like best friends. 
But there came a time where they just fell out of love with each other. And Dwayne The Rock Johnson, and they wanted to get a divorce. But The Rock wouldn't let them get a divorce unless his wife or ex-wife promised that she would be his manager. And she built him up. She's the one who got him all those movie roles and whatever. But she ended up he ended up marrying some uh someone that she knew and she ended up marrying the rock's trainer shut the front door no serious that's crazy but so what i'm did saying did you see that on some kind of like god post or something no it was on it was something okay. it was just, I, it was anyway. a video on youtube or something like that but i mean so that's i mean i think that's a very good testament to how they had a relationship and were married but they decided that they weren't they didn't want that sexual relationship the structure of their relationship changed yes but they are still willing to build each other up and support each other exactly and that's the kind of afterlife i imagine we participate in Mm -hmm. because that doesn't mean that we're all fucking each other in the afterlife it just means that god can you imagine what that would be like if when our relationships changed or transitioned into a different phase that we didn't feel like a death was the only other option if it didn't stay the same. Uh-huh. That I, would be amazing if we could still build each other up and support each other and encourage each other and be each other's cheerleaders, too. And we don't have to be impacted by the fact that it changed. And that is why so many people go through a divorce. Change. Yes. And our relationship changes all the time. It is always sexual. But... <laughs> <laughs> And if it's ever not, pray for us. But, I mean, I mean that really does happen in a marriage. Your relationship changes so much. And sometimes, like, people go through an existential crisis 50 fucking times in 10 years. Yes, that, that was us. That was us. That is us. That is us. That is us. But just because the relationship changes doesn't mean you have to end it. You just have to be willing to hold space for the change. And change is scary because, oh, well, I made this choice on this day with this person. You're supposed to remain locked in that image and illusion of the day I said I do. And when you change and I'm not changing with you, that makes me feel like something's wrong with me. And that's really what it says to other people. And that scares the shit out of them. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it scares the shit out of me to see you evolve in the manner that you have. And for me to go, I'm like way the fuck back here. Knock it off. Stop. Stop. You know what I mean? But sometimes people say that so much and it doesn't work. And then they just, they're done. Yes. Look at how relationships are. They all eventually end no matter what. Either by death or or choice yeah so our relationship's gonna end at some point in time right because at some point in time you will choose not me you will choose afterlife you know if we make it that far till death do us part but till death do us part i mean at some point we have to make a choice to die we're choosing the afterlife that means we're no longer choosing that relationship so they always ultimately end but we're not willing to accept that and that scares us Maybe it scares us because we know it's true. And we do everything we can to make it last forever. 
control it? Control it, cling to it, attach ourselves to it, over-identify with it, obsess over it. Yeah, that's all guided by fear. Yes, it is. And when you are filled with fear, you are not free to love. Thanks, Jamal. Thank you, Jamal. <laughs> you totally got to make him listen to this podcast. I'll just, I mean, I'll we're like... I'll be like, here, I think you'll like this. We talk about Jamal. Listen to the love cast. He's a pretty cool guy. He is. Jamal Javanji, the love cast. Shout out. Good guy. Good life coach. I'm pretty sure he should pay us for that. No. We are in loving relation with others, and we want to build them up and edify them. Yep. Mm-hmm. You may have. That is erotic. That is intimate. That is love. See, that's why you're the smart one. Sometimes. So, on that note, what's been interesting through all of this is how many times I've changed my mind. Well, you're a woman. It's to be expected, really. You're actually right. We are cyclical creatures. You're just lucky I have a lot of patience. You really do have a lot of patience. This has been a struggle because... Maybe because in the back of my mind, I thought I didn't have that many unhealed wounds. And it turns out I do. And that makes me, and I said this too, it makes me feel like a fraud. Like, I got no business advising people and talking to people and writing to people. If I'm fucking it up this much, changing my mind this much, and being this freaking overwhelmed by fear and anxiety and self-doubt and insecurity... There's something that I struggle to relate to with you on that. And and I've tried, but I've seen you just like your emotions take over and you can't control it. I can, I can see that you can't control it. Yeah. I get lost in them. And I, I can't relate to that. I mean, I can a little, but the way it does with you, I don't, I can't. You know, even more than that is... Why can I completely surrender to those dark emotions and not you or not God or not otherness or not love? I just let this rage take over and it's like I surrender to it. So here's, I'm going to, I'm going to, it's going to be kind of cliche, but faith, those emotions are real. God, I believe he's real, but faith is, that's all I got. I can't prove it. I can't see it. I can't, you know. And so I think that's how you can surrender to that, to, to those emotions, whereas you, you struggle surrendering to God is because those, those fears are real. Yeah. I'm a work in progress. I'm a whip, not a wop. <laughs> but I have a wop, okay? So, I mean. What ass? Right. Okay, that was too much. Anyway, save that for the OnlyFans. So, on this journey, do we want to tease a little bit to these listeners that we might be sharing a little bit more revealing information over on another platform? You can you can tell. I won't share the revealing information. Oh no, that you got to pay for. Yeah, but you can share that. And listeners, that's. The other bit of information I'd like to share with you today is that I do have an OnlyFans page. I had a Patreon page, but I didn't like it. And so to utilize the same experience with a little bit more freedom to be creative in my content, I'm at OnlyFans at Naked Tree Advisor, and we'll be sharing a little bit of our journey. So we'll take you from Tinder to where we are now. And 
with that, thanks for listening. <laughs>